eyes tonight and having an eye exam. And it was rather fitting. Uh, here just a while back, I, I'd wake up in the morning and, you know, that bleary eye that you just keep doing this, and usually they straighten out. Well, they weren't straighten, straighten out like they used to. And uh, I'd always had, the doctor said, well, you've got 20, 15 vision. You're great. You're great, you know. I finally had an appointment, and he came in and said, your, your eyes are fine. And I said, well, how come I can't read my fine print Bible? I have, a, I have one Bible that I take notes in that has fine print. And then I got a reading Bible with words about that big. And I said, I can't read it like I used to. He said, I'm just go get you some readers. And right now, these are working. <laughs> we'll have to see how it goes from here. But uh, so many things that Jim spoke about in his prayer talk about how Lord, the Lord has given us so much. And we could sit here till way past dark just mentioning everything that the Lord has given us. And we could also mention about how much of that we take for granted. And just like when I woke up in the morning, every time I wake up and I open my eyes, you know what? I get to see my beautiful wife, get to see my big old galoot of a son. I get to see so many beautiful, wonderful things that God has created. And you know what? I take that for granted. And, uh, and we need to think about all that God has given us, uh, so many beautiful things, so many wonderful things. And, but we're going to talk about one of those things, and that's the, the uh, sight. Um, and I was thinking about this. Uh, there's, there was a stat, and I don't know how old, how old it is, but over 30,000 people lose their sight. It's just in the United States and Canada, they lose their sight every year. Over 30,000 people lose their sight. I said over 90% of those are adults. And I would say that those folks all of a sudden really, really appreciate uh, the gift of sight. And, you know, I, I underappreciate it so much because I take it for granted. But those folks who have seen and are able to see all the beautiful things of God's creation, and then all of a sudden they can't, I, I, I know it's got to be tough for them. And uh, I can't imagine uh, what, what they go through. Um, Fanny Crosby, if y'all look, I'm not going to turn in there, but if you look through this psalm book, there's probably at least 100 songs that Fanny Crosby wrote. Uh, and she was born, she wasn't born blind, but she became blind not too, far, too long after birth. And she writes beautiful, wonderful things that she never saw. She talks about, and one of her songs is, is uh, eyes, eyes That Do Not See, or Eyes That I Hath Not Seen, excuse me. She also wrote things like Blessed Assurance, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, Near the Cross. And I, I saw a list. It was just amazing of all the songs that she wrote having never seen physically the beauty of God. Now, her being uh, a spiritual woman, I'm, I'm sure you could tell by the way she wrote that she knew the good things of God, but she, not, she did not ever physically see those. But we see that, um, uh, as I said before, I went for an for a evaluation for an eye checkup, and because we value our eyes when things start to go get out of focus, we have them checked up from time to time. Someone said, Think about this. The eye is the means by which we discriminate, perceive, and discern, and how thankful we should be. Now, discrimination is not a bad word. Uh, there is a terrible connotation with it, but discrimination means that you can tell the difference between one thing and another. And so, and when we see things, a lot of times we can, just by seeing that, we can see, we can discriminate between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, and we perceive and we discern. So, there was a study not too long ago, and scientists estimated that 85%, actually a little over 85% of all the impressions that we get come from our eyesight. Can you imagine? I got, I got thinking about that, and you know, I've been guilty. I've been guilty in that part because 
I look at a person's appearance, and what do I do? I formulate an idea in my mind about what that person, who that person is, uh, maybe their financial status, maybe just a lot of things that I just know I'm just so smart about that I can see from just looking at that person's appearance, and I know I'm wrong a lot of times. And a lot of times we look at folks, we look at them, we say, well, they never believe. They've never even, they've never studied the Bible with me. And we write them off, and we go on to the next person. We can't do that. We cannot, we cannot do that. We, although we form impressions in our mind, we need to fight through those, and we need to realize that behind every person we see, whether they're richly dressed and driving a fine car, or whether they're sitting out here on the, at one of the intersections holding up a sign saying, we'll work for food or need help or whatever, there's a soul behind every one of those. And so we can't just, you know, by, by looks, we can't just wipe, uh, write them off. Throughout the scriptures, we have repeated references to the eyes. And, you know, sometimes I, I think of something we talk, I want to talk about, and I say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say much about that. And then I start looking, and I go, man, the Bible says an awful lot about that. Well, because everything we need and everything we, we, we need to have to be right with God is in here. And he's going to tell us, I mean, from, from Genesis to Revelation, he's given us everything we need. And the application is there. It's just if I open up the scriptures and turn to it. And so throughout the scriptures, a lot of these are given spiritual applications, uh, which makes them more important because he says, he talks about the eyes and good things and bad things, and he says, this is what I want you to do. This is the application. Now are you going to do it? So we're going to start right into it. Turn back to Isaiah 56. Isaiah chapter 56. We're going to talk about people who are spiritually blind. We have several different, I would put, categories. They all end up being um, uh, smaller parts of a bigger picture. Isaiah 56, the 10th verse. And he says, and, and the heading just above on verse 9 says, Israel's irresponsible leaders. And that was put there by man. Uh, that's just a topic heading. But verse 10, it says, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, in verse 11, yes, they're greedy dogs which never have enough. A watchman has pretty much one job, and that's to watch. And it sounds very simple, but when you put a, uh, in, in the Old Testament times, even New Testament, you, you put them up on the watchtower, and they were to watch for the enemy coming towards them. They weren't to fall asleep. They weren't to take breaks or walk off. <laughs> they had an area to watch, and if any danger came that way, they were to warn the people. And he says here, that the, the watchmen had failed. They'd fallen asleep. They'd gotten lazy in their job. And so the, uh, the one here, the spiritual blindness, this is the spiritual blindness being attached to, uh, to, the, to the watchman here. Then we'll turn over to Matthew 15, verse 14. I'll have you jumping back and forth, but I, I don't ever want you to take my word for it. Um, I want you to open it up to the scriptures and put your finger on it. Grover Stevens always used to say that. He used to say you want, you want to be able to put your finger on what you're reading there and see that, yes, that is what is being said there. Matthew 15, verse 14. And this is a very, um, a very quoted, off-quoted scripture. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That's talking about the deceitful false teachers, about the Pharisees. And here they were. They knew God's word. Yet they didn't apply it like they ought to. And what they were doing was they were going out and taking other people and said, here, here, grab hold of my hand. I'll take you the right way. 
And here they were. The idea is, is are actually two blind people. One blind man says, here, follow me. He grabs hold of that man's hand. They're going to walk. They're not going to see the danger ahead, and they're going to fall into the ditch. And that, falling in a ditch physically could, be, could hurt you. Falling in a ditch spiritually, you may never get out of that ditch, and it may kill you, and it will take your soul. And so here he was saying that the Pharisees are the blind leading the blind, and, he, and they had no business leading people in the way they did. And then over in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 4. I used to have a Bible that had several bookmarks, and I could just skip right over to it, and that one doesn't work anymore very well. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, the God of this age is is not someone who grabbed a hold of you and made you do anything you didn't want to do. The God of this age is the God of this age, and you decide, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve myself? We make that choice to serve the God of this age, and he's blinded them. <coughs> it says in verse 4, who, he, he says, who do not believe. There are people who are going to willfully reject the truth. How many times, and I, if you live very long, and if you teach very many people, you sit down, and you... And, various and different subjects, but you point to it and says, this is what the scriptures say, and they say, but I don't see it that way. Well, how would, how else would he say this? Here is a verse that says we must do this. Well, you know, and they go on with a lot of excuses, no very good, no reason. They go on with excuses, and they just willfully reject the truth, and it, that is so sad because, you know, this is the only thing that's going to save us. This right here is the only thing that's going to save us. And, and if you go anywhere else, to anything else, all you're going to be doing is spinning your wheels, and you're going to be uh, blinded by the God of this age. And so we ought not to be uh, willfully rejecting the truth. Um, spiritually, we won't turn here. One can see and perceive not. Just like uh, we read there in Matthew 13, it also says that in Isaiah 6, 9. We can see things, but then we don't get what's going on. We can perceive. We don't get the situation. And a lot of times it's because of prejudice. How many of us would think would consider ourselves to be prejudiced? Just like I talked about a little bit about ago about looking at someone and we're prejudging them as to what whether they'll accept the truth, whether they'll even study with you, or what kind of person they are. We need to be careful because the Lord has a lot to say about prejudice in the scriptures. The Jewish leaders and over in John one, let's turn over to John the first chapter. The Jewish leaders, they saw Christ. They saw the miracles, they saw everything that went on. And, and you can you imagine seeing all the miracles that, uh, that Jesus uh, performed, they saw Christ. They did not want to perceive him. It wasn't that they couldn't get it. It's that they didn't get it. They didn't get his mission or the nature of his kingdom. The Jewish leaders wanted, I guess for lack of a better term, what they wanted was a big, super, very impressive-looking Jesus standing up there who, when he walked in, he would just command the presence of the room just by his physical appearance, and he was going to come in and just wipe out all of our enemies and, and give us back what right is rightfully ours, and that was not the, his mission. His mission, in fact, says that Jesus didn't look, he, he didn't look any different than any of the other Jews. He was just a regular-looking man, but his mission, um, as far as his physical appearance, but his mission was a, 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 of a spiritual nature. And John chapter 1, verse 11 says, 
He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but what about also not only prejudice, but because of tradition? Turn over to Matthew 15, verse 9. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. And this is another very often quoted verse. How about because of tradition? That's a, maybe that's not such a dirty word, but sometimes it can be. Matthew 15, verse 9 says, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You can go to a, a lot of, well, all the denominations, and sometimes you can go into uh, churches of Christ who are teaching as tradition, teaching traditions as this is what the Lord wants you to do. We can't be that way. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people will say, my parents believe that, and it's good enough for me. You know, when I was little, mom and dad took me to worship all the time. You know, unless I was just unless I was just on my deathbed, I was going to be at worship. And you know what? I'm glad she did. I'm glad they did. Because <clears throat> that, that wasn't just a tradition. That taught me the importance that they put upon serving God. And then I saw that, and I, it, became, it eventually became mine. I, I, I became a Christian, but I, as I was coming up, I saw how important it was to mom and dad, and I said, there's something to this. But, you know, as the old saying says, God doesn't have any grandkids. When you become a child of God, you need to become, you need to become a child of God. You're not, I'm not going to, if I went up there and said, well, you know, Lord, I became a Christian because Mom said that was a good thing to do. And you know what? That's not going to be good enough. We're going to have to do the work, do the work that God has, has, uh, has called for us to do. Many people follow customs blindly and traditions of their ancestors. Steve Niemeyer had a, had a lesson with us, um, um, well, it, it ended up Friday, and he was talking about a place where he went to preach. And he said, now, do you want me to teach the class and preach? And they said, no, no, you're just going to preach. Well, he said, well, they started at 10 o'clock. He said, we came in and sat down at 10 o'clock, and he said, everybody was just sitting there. He said, it's 10 minutes after. It was 20 minutes after. And he said, I looked over to brother and said, did I forget something? Was I supposed to be teaching the class? He said, no. He said, and I've forgotten the lady's name. He said, he goes, she hadn't rung the bell yet. And, and he looked at him. He said, so afterwards, he said, about 20 minutes after, he said, the bell rang. He said, everybody went up, went to their classes, and everything started happening. And he said, it only had, only had about a 25-minute class, class period. And he said, I asked him about it afterwards. And he said, he said, why didn't, he said, you advertise 10 o'clock. Why didn't you start at 10? He said, well, uh, sister so-and-so's family's rung the bell for ever since the church building's been here. And so, you know, whenever sister got there was when everything started. And so that was a tradition. They were missing out on a lot of valuable uh, class time to be teaching when they had to just wait on, wait on that sister. You know, if she got stuck in traffic, well, they were going to miss. They might even miss their whole class period. But as soon as that ba uh, bell rang, well, they were right into action. And that's one of those things we talk about is it's a tradition that can sometimes hinder. That's kind of funny to laugh at, but it, it can hinder our service to God. Have you ever heard this? And I've heard it, and I've probably said it. We've just always done it that way. You know what? Don't ever, <laughs> if, if you have a habit of saying that or if you've ever said that, stop it. We've just always done it that way. You know, well, well why do you take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Well, we've just always done it that way. That's not going to convince anybody of anything because that's just as good a reason for other people to do whatever they want to. You know, if they decided to have, well, whatever, uh, games and all kinds of things, well, we've just always done it that way. Oh, okay, well, that's a good reason. Go on and do it. That is not a good reason, and don't ever use that. 
Uh, another thing we need to talk about, not only being spiritually blind, but eyes that are out of focus. Just like when my eyes were out of focus, uh, when I was trying to read some things with small print, I was misreading things, and I might actually write down things that were wrong because of what I thought I read versus what was truly on the page. And so out-of-focus eyes can cause serious problems physically and spiritually. And uh, it causes us, and let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 4.18. Right back over, 2 Corinthians 4.18. It causes us to con confuse immediate advantage with eternal values. 2 Corinthians 4.18. <coughs> I should have just kept my finger right there. I was right there a minute ago. 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are, are eternal. And um, that's kind of the difference between being nearsighted and farsighted. Um, you know, when I see uh, about what I'm going to do this week, next week, and I keep my head down, and I'm worried about, now, let me say this first. We need to do our due diligence about taking care of our family and doing our work and everything. But how many of us look at the long-range plans of heaven. You know, I these last couple of weeks they've been sending me in on, on my routes places I did not want to go and I was down there for 13, 14 hours a day and I and I come home and I would just gripe and gripe and complain and everything. And you know, that was bad. But in the grand scheme of things, that's a very, very small thing that I need to just get over because if I don't take care of the things I need to that long-range plans, if I never look up and look to heaven, I know I'm pointing to the back of the building, but if I don't look downrange, if I don't look at uh, raising our son right, if I don't look at teaching others, if I don't look at myself becoming more mature and aspiring to be an elder someday, if I don't look at all those things and I just look at what's going to happen next week, next month, and I don't plan, I don't plan for heaven, then I'm not going to make it. Because if I don't plan for heaven, you know, you're, we're not going to accidentally just trip into the, the doorway of heaven. We're going to go there because we've made plans and because uh, we've made plans according to what God has told us to do. So that's the difference between being nearsighted and farsighted. <coughs> also confuses human attainment with divine atonement. Now think about that. How many, how many uh, times have, uh, I'm not going to pick on the president here, but they were picking apart a, uh, a speech that he had. And they said he mentioned himself 137 times in one speech. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. How many of us, if somebody recorded us, we talk about, and they, we played it back to us, how many of us would say, my land, I talk about myself all the time, and I, I must think I'm an awfully important person. Um, we need to realize that um, no matter how high I get on this earth, I mean, as far as up in the company, how much money I make, how the big houses or whatever, that you know what, that's not going to get me into heaven. Divine atonement, I got to search out and seek the Lord. That's what's going to get me there. And when I get out of focus, when I get focused on the temporal things, and it says those things which are temporary that are going to end up being somebody else's when I die, then that's what's going to happen. It's going to be instead of all about me, we need to say we need to realize that it's all about God. Um, Along with that, we've always just we just always done it that way. Have you heard of congregations sound? Well, they were sound congregations 
who have gone off and done something that is blatantly unscriptural, and they said, but look at the good it does. Well, you know what? I can justify anything in the world if I can say, look at the good it does. Because I can sit there and say, well, hey, let's put a bunch of big inflatables out here, and let's, let's put a pool out here, and, man, we'll have all kinds of people coming in. And you know what? You may fill this building up. But what's going to happen when you shut the pool down and you deflate the inflatable and you say, hey, let's talk about the Bible. What's going to happen? They're going to go right back out because they were brought in with those things. And you know what? They're going to leave and those things disappear. You need to, what you're converted with, it's an old saying, but it's true. What you're converted with is what you're converted to. When I say look at the good it does, I'm replacing Bible authority with what I want to do. And you know, there is not a line which you will stop at. Because if I say, look at the good it does, I, well, I mean, the sky's the limit. So we need to look at the scriptures, see what the scriptures has to say about it, and then do that. And you know what? God's word is still powerful. A lot of people have, they haven't said it in so many uh, words, but they have believed that, I guess, that since we're in the 21st century, 21st century, 21st century that God's, God's word is just not near as powerful as it used to be, you know, back in the first century. Well, yes, it is. And God's word is going to accomplish what it will accomplish. But you know what? If I keep this Bible closed up and I don't ever teach anybody about it, it's not going to accomplish anything as far as I'm concerned because I'm not using it like I ought to be doing it. Uh, let's turn over to Colossians 3, verse 2. Properly focused eyes set their affections on things above, which goes right along with 2 Corinthians 4, 18. <coughs> Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And then verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. We need When our eyes are properly focused, I'm not focused on just the things this world has to offer. I'm focused on heaven and getting there and taking my family with me and taking everybody that I can to go. We won't turn over there, but 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says looking for that home we're looking we need to be looking for that home don't you want don't you want a home in heaven i mean yeah we might be looking for a house here to buy and build and move in and that's exciting but you know it's not going to be even come close to the beauty of the home that god has prepared for us for those of us who are faithful and who are faithful unto death let's turn over second peter 1 9 second <clears throat> peter 1 verse 9 Says for uh, well, let's actually let's just jump on back to verse five. I apologize, verse five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, <clears throat> to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are in you and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is, talks about sight. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. These people could see on down the road, and we can too. We can see eternally on down the road because they added these graces. This is not one of those things that's optional. And, you know, if you read this list, we're going to be busy. There is so much. There is so much going on about adding to it, starting off with faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control. That's not one of those things that you get up to a certain point and you said, okay, I'm done, I'm full. All right, let's move on to the next thing. This is a lifelong mission, and you see that in verse uh, verse 9 it says that if we lack these things, we're going to be short-sighted. We're not going to be able to see down the road. We're not going to be able to see heaven and um, 
And so we need to be very careful. These people could see afar off because they added these uh, Christian graces, as we call them. Another kind of eye or eye condition is Jesus spoke of those who have an evil eye. In the lexicon, it defines it as being in a bad condition. Let's turn over to Matthew 7. This is a familiar passage, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, if we're not real careful, it's easy. It's easy to pick out the faults in our brothers and sisters. It's, uh, you know, I don't have to try very hard, and I can say, well, so-and-so does this, and so-and-so does this, and look at them, and look at that. <coughs> While, and he calls them hypocrite in verse 5. We're doing the same thing, and I would say worse, but you know what? Sin is sin. If you're sinning, sin is just as bad here. It might have different consequences, but one sin is just as bad as the other, and the end result is if we don't take care of that, we'll, then, uh, then we'll go to hell. And so, um, But it talks about getting the beam or the plank out of your eye. Can you imagine? Uh, Kyle's got a little old speck I can barely see. And, but out of here, out of my eye, I got a two-by-four sticking up as far. And I said, Kyle, you need to really work on that. Well, I, first of all, I don't know how to see it in the first place because I got a big beam sticking out of my eye. And what he's saying there is, he says, get your life right. It doesn't say not to judge. By the way, I'll just say that. This does not say don't judge. A lot of folks in the world will say, oh, you're not supposed to judge. What he's saying is, is if you judge hypocritically, you're going to be judged hypocritically. He said judge righteous judgment in other passages. So it doesn't say not to judge, but it says to make sure that you're judging correctly. Matthew 6, 23, just a, cha uh, just a chapter back, Matthew 6, 23 says, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in your eye is darkness, or the light that is in your eye is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here it's talking about that the evil eye is full of darkness. And the application, if you go on down a couple more verses, talking about serving two, two masters. You can't serve two masters. Uh, people will try, and I, I said this just to somebody the other day, there's an old saying about straddling the fence. There's no such thing. You, there's, that is a myth about straddling the fence. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ because if you've got one foot in the world, then you are serving Satan. And if you've got one foot with Christ, you're still serving Satan. If you're not on his side of the fence and as far away from that fence line as you can be, then you're serving Satan. I can't serve God a little bit. you know. Now, Satan would say, oh, I just want 15, 20 minutes of your time, or maybe a day. And, you know, if he takes that much, he's got you. So uh, talking about the singleness of service, about serving God, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil. That's, I mean, when you become a child of God or when you get up to the age, what we would call the age of accountability, where you're accountable to God, you're going to be serving one of those two. There's not a third kind of state in between. You're going to either going to be serving God as you ought to be, or you're going to be serving Satan and you'll be serving yourself. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 9. Let's flip over just a couple chapters. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, verse 9. talks about, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And that's exactly true. 
He's not talking about here. And I, I don't know of a situation where you would ever have to physically pluck your eye out. But he's, what he's saying is here, do whatever it takes to get right with God. If, if there is something, whatever it is in your life, that is causing you to not serve God as you ought, you need to take it out. You need to do whatever it takes. Talk, talk about physically because physically ripping your eye out is not going to cure your evil because the evil can still be in your mind and in your heart. Uh, another type of eye that, we're talk, that we talk about in scriptures is that they talk about the downcast eye. The person who knows sorrow, and I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have had terrible and difficult and grief, uh, grief-filled times in our life. If we're any of any age at all, we've had times where I tell you what, it was just sometimes it was even hard to get out of bed, and you cried for days, or you worried for weeks. There's always been times in our life where we've had those times, and the one who knows sorrow, and everybody does, but they refuse to look up for help. They either <clears throat> just wallow in self-pity, saying, "Oh, woe is me," or they look to uh, external. And let me say this, self-help books are okay. I mean, you know, but the best self-help book in any situation is always going to be the Lord's, the Word right here. You can, a lot of times, those good books that you read, self-help books, they took biblical ideas and just put it in different language. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but some even blame God for their sorrow. Uh, I was thinking about this. When sometimes when maybe tornadoes come through or something has happened, and you know, and you've seen people, and they say, they say, why did God let this happen? Well, God didn't let it happen. Don't blame God. You're you're really getting into a very very scary area when you start blaming God for things because you know what caused all the terrible things in this world is sin. When when sin entered the world, that's what caused all these terrible things that happened out in the world. And then some will go so far as to say, why did you do, do this to me? Those are like two sides of the same coin. Why did you let it happen? Or why did you do, the, do this to me, God? And we need to be careful. And I hope that that doesn't sound familiar to any of us because uh, we ought not to think that way and we ought to correct those people who, uh, who speak that way. Turn back a couple chapters to Matthew 14. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down on, out of the boat, <clears throat> he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. You know, Peter walked on the water. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I, can, I try to think about that in my mind, about seeing Jesus walking across the, these boisterous waves, and Jesus is just walking just like it's just a regular walk in the park. <clears throat> and he said, if it's you, ask me to come out there. Here I am, putting myself in Peter's uh, uh, shoes or sandals. <laughs> and I'm walking out there on the water. And then all of a sudden, you know what? When I take my eyes off Jesus... And I start looking at the things around me. I start looking at boisterous waves and things like that. What happened? He started to sink. He started to sink. And so Peter walked on the water till he took his eyes off Jesus. Let's turn over to Psalm, over to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. The first two verses. <coughs> 
Psalm chapter 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, there's a brother who said one time, he said that the Lord needs to be our first, who we need to go to first instead of being a last resort. And that's exactly right. A lot of times I'll look to everybody. I'll look to my family, and they're great. I'll look to my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're all great. And I'll look to everything else. And then finally, at the very end of it all, I'm like, well, I've exhausted everything else, so Lord, how, how about helping me? I need to say, Lord, you're the first one I need to go to because Lord will take care of you. Now, he may not take care of it in the way that we might want him to, but Lord's going to take care of it for our good. Okay, the scriptures talks also about lustful eyes, and that's especially true in our time. Um, advertisers capitalize on it everywhere from uh, fast food to microwave dinners. It's getting to the point where you can't even watch TV, I mean, you can't even watch commercials. There used to be a time when you knew that all the bad stuff, and I put that in air quotes, was past a certain time at night. At 10 o'clock at night, they'd show more. So you were pretty much safe to watch good, clean TV <coughs> and see uh, advertising. Anymore, that's not true. And so we need to be really careful. Um, men love to have it so all the, there was a, a saying that's been around for a, a long time, and it, it's sex sells, and that's exactly right. If you put, uh, put a woman on TV with very few clothes on, you know what? Guys are going to look at it. They may not know what you're selling, but they're going to pay attention to the advertising, and, that's, and they're putting that on TV and commercials and TV shows everywhere. Billboards, they're putting billboards that I wouldn't even stand a chance of 10 years ago. And so we need to be very, very careful about, um, about the way, uh, about the lustful eyes. How should Christians dress? We won't turn there, but 1 Timothy 2.9 <clears throat> talks about being dressed modestly and orderly, and the dress is going to be right when your heart is right. Um, go, getting back to those things on TV, this is something that I've I've struggled with, uh, not struggled with, but I I let pass for a while. And you know, when they put things on TV where people are cursing or people are uh, immodestly dressed, they they beep it out. And you'll hear something, and somebody will be talking. They beep, 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 beep. Or if somebody's in my address, they blur it. They blur it out. And you know, I I used to say, well, that's okay. I'm glad. I'm glad that you know that they're at least doing that. But think about that. I've said that, and I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'll just tell you, I was absolutely wrong. But to sit there and watch that, and say that I could get away with that not affecting me because it does affect you. <coughs> I could say, well, I didn't say anything. I didn't have to. I knew what was there, and a lot of times I knew what the people were saying, and just because they bleeped it out or blurred it out doesn't mean that it did not affect me in some way. And we need to be real careful. If we're not careful and we don't guard our hearts, we watch that and we say, well, I'm glad they got rid of the bad parts. Well, we'll sit there and watch it and sit right through it, and our imagination kicks in, and, and our sense, and our, I'm not going to say sinful attitude, but sin will be right at the door. We need to be really, really careful about about those things. Um, Peter speaks of eyes full of adultery. And, you know, this is something that I just, uh, let's turn over Second Peter 2, 13 and 14. <clears throat> and there are people like this like this today. Um, in fact, quite a few. Second Peter 2, 13 and 14. <clears throat> 
Well, let's, let's go back to 12. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption <clears throat> and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count time. There are spots and blemishes. There are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practice and are accursed children. Just like if I went out and practiced basketball three or four hours a day, now I wouldn't get I wouldn't do any better, but if, if I if, when I was young, if I practiced and practiced, you know what? I would get better at that. People who with eyes full of adultery where all they see doesn't matter who they look at or what they look at or what situation they're talking about, there's illicit sex involved. They always turn it into a terrible sexual situation or a, a just a, a lustful situation <coughs> or an adulterous situation. They're going to get good at it. It says right here in verse, uh, in verse 14, uh, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They, they have a heart trained. What we spend our time on is what we're training for. If we're, we're spending our time studying God's word, learning more about it and teaching it to others, we're training for heaven and we're training others for heaven. If we spend our time looking at filthy, uh, and, and it's so available today, so much filth on the Internet, on television, wherever you look, and talking to people who put up with those things and actually enjoy those things, we're training for hell. And so we need to be real careful about what we're training for. <coughs> with... Um, in 1 John 2.17, John warns us that, uh, that the lust of the eyes is one of the three avenues of sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. <coughs> and we won't turn to these verses either, but we know the story. How about with Eve? What was, what was the lust of the eyes for her? That was the forbidden fruit. She saw it. She saw that it was good to look at. It was good for food. She went on, and she sinned, and she called that into sin. And, that, and we go see from there, and that's in Genesis 3, verse 6. How about with David? David was on his rooftop. He saw Bathsheba, Bathsheba bathing. He had a choice. He could have walked back in, or he could have sent him being the king, sent some over and said, hey, listen, tell her to get off the roof and not do that again. But instead, he decided with his eyes full of adultery to call for her and bring her over, and we know what happened from there. There was adultery. There was uh, murder. There were so many things that happened because of that. And with Simon the sorcerer, and that's, by the way, David, that's in 2 Samuel 11, 2 and 3. And then over in Simon, uh, he won the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 8, 18 and 19. He wanted to be able to pass that on to other people. He saw that, and he, he, he lusted after that power, and he was told that you, you will perish if you don't straighten that out. So um, let me ask you this question. What's the lust in your eyes? You know, I sit there, and I can, man, I can con condemn Eve. Well, Eve, you knew better. And David, you knew better. And Simon, you knew better. Well, what about Tim? Tim, do you know better? What do you What do you look at that you look at a little too long, or you look at and you think about a little bit in a wrong way? What is it? And that's going to be different for every one of us. It's going to be different for every one of us. But it's there might be something out there. We need to guard our hearts and be very careful. Analyze, think about what we're doing, what we're thinking about, what we're looking at, and then take it away. If it is between me and God, I need to get rid of it. There's also deliberately closed eyes. Uh, Luke 19. Let's turn over to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42. <clears throat> 
Jesus said, now as he drew, he didn't say this, but now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden <laughs> from your eyes. And here he, he wept. Jesus wept here because Jerusalem had deliberately closed their eyes to accepting him. They, again, they were looking for a completely different Jesus than the one of the scriptures that had been foretold. And sadly, it's true today. Um, some of our eyes today were closed because we're lazy. And I, and when I, anytime I get up preach, it seems like I talk about myself an awful lot. And there are times when I've absolutely been the laziest person in the world and have just not put forth the effort to do what I needed to do. And in Acts 17, 11, they were talking about those who were more noble. They searched the scriptures daily, but also mentions that there are some who didn't. There were some who did not search scriptures. They just were uh, lazy to the point that they weren't going to look into it. And then some people, I've actually talked to more than one, they kind of had an idea that what was going on, that they knew that this was true, but they didn't want to study with it because they were afraid that once I see that, I'm going to have to make a decision. Well, they've already made that decision. But once I see that and I see those words and they're going to condemn me, I'm either going to have to accept it or I'm going to have to reject it. <clears throat> and although I know it's the truth, I don't really want to accept it because of, again, whatever reason. So there's some who fear that, and then there's others who just don't care. And, you know, that's really sad because those are the hardest to reach. When you talk to somebody, you say, hey, you want to study the Bible? I'm like, nope, I'm good. I don't go anywhere. Don't bother me. When we went out and passed out flyers, it's been three or four years back, passing out flyers, <clears throat> and went and rang a doorbell, and we had flyers in hand. The guy opened up the door. He said, I'm not interested. Don't bother me. And he just shut the door back before we even had a chance to say. And, you know, that's really sad. That's very, very sad because those are the hardest ones to reach. But offer the gospel to them, and if they turn you down and reject you, move on to the next one. But th th let's, not, um, let's not, not offer it. And uh, even Christians, you know, I'm sitting there talking about a lot of times people think about and I'm talking about everybody else out in the world. But even Christians sometimes can close their eyes. <clears throat> we close our eyes to the suffering of others. How many, and I, now, by the way, I know you all well enough to know that that does not happen here. You all are a good group. I've known it for several years, and I know you all, and I know this doesn't happen, that, that you all take care of each other. But how many times have we closed our eyes to the suffering of others? We see not just Christians, but people that are our friends and our neighbors and our family, and we see we know something's going on, and we go, what? I, don't, I didn't see anything. And you just kind of look the other way. You move away from them because you don't want to have to fool with them. And, again, I know that's not true here because I've seen so many of you all taking such good care of your brothers and sisters in Christ, <clears throat> and you all are a good example. Now, in Acts 10.38, let's turn over to Acts 10.38. By the way, I'm not going to keep you all here all afternoon, I promise. <coughs> Acts 10, verse 38. Do people in this community, and we're talking about Nicholasville, know of this church because Christians follow the example of Christ who went about doing good? Acts 10.38 says, Now how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, we're not going to go about healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. We don't have that power. But do we go about doing good, or do we just come in here and hide in this building and then go home, and people don't know anything about us, the neighbors, friends, people we work with don't know anything about us uh, until we come back. Uh, or They say, yeah, I, I see those people. Yeah, they, they go to church over there every once in a while. 
Is that all they see, or do they see you and they say, hey, I know so-and-so. He helped out a friend of mine. He did this. They're always out trying to teach and out trying to help people in the community. We need to be about doing good. James 1.27, we close our eyes to the fatherless and the widows. Uh, we need to look for those opportunities to take care of those folks. And then in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this is a very familiar passage, but I'm going to read it anyway. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Do we close our eyes to the unsaved, not only in this community but worldwide? That we have brethren who are going into hard places, talking to, again, about Steve Niemeyer. He said he was over there preaching, and it was in Sierra Leone. And there, there is a, a general with about 50 soldiers behind him watching what he says. And if he says the wrong thing, they, they can be arrested and be put in prison. And I know we, we can talk about all those brothers and sisters who go worldwide who have it very, very difficult. We've got it easy, and that might be our problem, is that we have free reign. I can go and talk to anybody I want to, and, you know, the police aren't going to come and talk to me. And yet I sit in my house watching my TV and wasting, wasting time. So we need to be <coughs> really careful. Now, uh, I'm not ever probably going to travel outside the United States again. I've, I've been to Canada. That's about as far as I've been. That's really about as far as I want to go. I know we got some got a brother there that traveled all over, and we've got another brother there that just went back over, the, I guess, to the Middle East or over in Africa. But they uh, – um, Tim Wells's world consists of people at CentOS, and it consists of people in Salvisa, and it consists of people in Lawrenceburg, and, a, and a, just a little bunches. Am I teaching those people in Tim Wells's world? I, I may not do any great things across the ocean, but I better do the things I'm supposed to do where I am. And that's that's what I want to just beat it into our heads <laughs> home that if we're not out teaching others we're not doing what lord wants us to do john 435 let's turn to john 435 <clears throat> john 435 says do do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest behold i say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest <clears throat> we need to lift up our eyes we need to not let opportunities pass us by. Uh, I'm glad that the Lord didn't give me an internal counter that said every time that I missed an opportunity, because it would probably be in the thousands by now, and I don't brag about that, I'm, sh I'm ashamed of it, is that I'm, I walk in and I'm focused on what Tim wants to do, and I pass up opportunity after opportunity, and the Lord's saying, here it is, here it is, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it. And I pass up those opportunities because I don't have my eyes focused and I don't have my mind set on what I need to, need to do. John 4.35, we have a love letter. Someone once said, we have a love letter to deliver. Are we going to deliver it? Are we going to deliver to all those people, all these souls out here, and that the Lord wants them to become a child of his and wants, to go home, uh, wants them to go home to heaven with him? Well, Revelation 3, verse 17, the church at Laodicea, if you've studied very much of those first couple chapters there, <coughs> talks about the seven churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. If I, I'll get there eventually. There we go. 
among other things, says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Among other things, they were blind. Verse 18, <coughs> he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Now, so the question is, let's close our Bibles up. Open up our Psalm books, number 294. Are you in darkness today? We, we read over in Ephesians 1.18 that the word of God can open our eyes. It's the only thing that's going to open our eyes. It's the only thing that's going to get us to heaven. So are you in darkness today? And if you are, if you are a child of God and you've got anything standing between you and God, if you become spiritually blind or if you become lazy, uh, if you become out of focus, whatever we talked about, or if it's something completely different, <coughs> the Lord can take care of that. The Lord can wipe that out if you are willing to repent. He can wipe it, and you can be just as clean and, and pure and uh, white as snow. We need to admit that our blindness was there. We need to obey the word. And then in Psalm 17, 8, I won't turn there either, but it talks about us becoming the apple of God's eye. And you know what? When we become the apple of God's eye, I think we're on the right track. So whatever your situation or your condition is, please come as we stand and sing.